I'm going to continue to stand with the people that are being oppressed. In 2016, San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick started a global conversation when he kneeled during the U.S. National Anthem. Four years later, Kaepernick's silent protest to fight anti-black racism and police brutality in the U.S. has exploded. We talk with former NFLer Pastor Derwin Gray, Olympian Kamika Bingham, and track and field great Cassandra Pascal, plus Orlando Magic's Jonathan Isaac. I'm about solutions, and when I saw people taking the decision to kneel, I thought the best decision and the best solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today on Context, athletes using their platforms to fight anti-black racism. But first, Maggie John picks up from the disturbing shoving of Masai Ujiri by a California police officer with Toronto Raptors in-house announcer, Herbie Coon. day of celebration for the Toronto Raptors and Canadian basketball fans last year ended on a sour note as Toronto Raptors president Masai Ujiri is violently shoved by a sheriff's deputy on his way to celebrate with his team. Since that incident, accusations of racial profiling have risen as Masai Ujiri in an open letter stated, I was reminded in that moment that despite all the hard work and success, there are some people, including those who are supposed to protect us, who will always and only see me as something that is unworthy of respectful engagement. And there's only one indisputable reason why that is the case, because I am black. Joining us now is the in-house voice of the current NBA champions, the Toronto Raptors in-house voice, Herbie Kuhn. Thanks so much for joining us today, Herbie. What do you think about that incident? Unfortunate is the word that comes to mind, Maggie. Gr gr grossly unfortunate. And Masai articulated it so well in his letter that a gentleman who has worked so hard over the course of many years to reach the pinnacle of his profession, where he's been the executive of the year in the NBA, executive of the year for a second time, if I'm not mistaken, and then our team makes the breakthrough and gets not only to the finals, but wins the championship, which was such a, a nationwide celebration for all of us. And to think that at that pinnacle moment, as he is attempting to enter the court yeah. to celebrate with his guys, that he gets blocked because of the color of his skin, tragic, unfortunate. Let, let's talk about the social statements that the just the world of sports has entered into. You know, social statements are not new to the yeah. world of sports. Of course, we know, we remember the 1968 Germany uh, Olympics where we saw Tommy Smith and John Carlos having the raised fist on the podium. When the Raptors yeah. rolled into the bubble, Herbie, with their bus wrapped with Black Lives Matter, everyone was watching. What was the statement that the Raptors were saying? The Raptors statement that what I believe my interpretation of what they're saying is we are taking a stand. This is important to us. This is significant to us. And this isn't just a news clip that is meant to come and go as soon as the noise dies down. This is a conversation that needs to continue happening. And with the extra media, obviously, that is on not only the NBA returning to the bubble, but on us being the defending champions, my 
my belief is that the Raptors would want to say, hey, let's keep this conversation going. We're making a statement. This is important to us. And it's not only about basketball right now. Yes, the reason people are focused on us is because of basketball, but it's not only about basketball. There's something that's more important that needs to be spoken about. Right. And then we saw the boycott, the walk-off, right after Jacob Blake was shot by police. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks yeah. were the first to say, we're not playing. Um, and obviously other teams uh, followed. What does that say? And, you know, the fact that, you know, these are black men mostly, eight, over 80% of the league yeah. are black men. Uh, when they say we've had enough and we're stepping off the court, how does that translate? The first thing I'd like to highlight from that period in time is the first that I heard of that conversation came from two Raptor players, ah. from Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell. That conversation made its way into the news cycles the day before, if I'm not mistaken, the Bucks did their actual boycott. So I'd like to first and foremost say how proud I am of those guys for having the guts to even bring that into the conversation. What does it say, Maggie, about the state of affairs right now that they would be willing to take such a courageous stand? It says, we have a voice. We have a voice. There are too many people that believe that athletes should stick to their sport, that they shouldn't offer commentary on other spheres of life, other spheres of influence, whether it's culture or politics or what have you. The fact of the matter is God created us as multifaceted human beings with emotions, with compassion, with a sense of dignity and righteousness and justice. And if we feel free, if we feel the urge, the drive, the motivation to speak about something, then why shouldn't we, regardless of what our job is? So whether you're a preacher, whether you're an athlete, whether you're an accountant, or whether you're a TV show host, if you have an opinion on something, hey, you know what? There's a place in time to be able to share it. So I give the guys from, from Norm and Fred, who started the conversation, or at least publicly began the conversation, to the guys on the Bucks who are willing to walk off the court. That's unprecedented. Unprecedented. I give them full props, full credit, for because they were putting their statement before their livelihood. They were making a statement and saying, this takes precedence before our livelihood. This is more important to, 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 to drive this issue than it is for to go out and play this playoff game. That's, more that's than awesome. just athletes, right? More than just athletes. Thank you yeah, again, absolutely. my friend, Herbie Kuhn, uh, in-house voice of the reigning champions, the Toronto Raptors. Thanks again for joining us today. Maggie, it's been a pleasure. God bless you, and keep up the awesome work. Mandela says, sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. It has the power to unite in a way that little else does. It speaks to youth in a language they understand. Sport can create hope where once there was only despair. It was NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick who began the now worldwide take a knee movement. At the time, Kaepernick got hit hard, blackballed from the sport for his fearless stand on racism in the U.S. Four years later, Commissioner Roger Goodell issued an apology but didn't mention Kaepernick by name. 
Our next guest is former NFL player, Pastor Derwin Gray. Thank you so much for joining us, Pastor Gray. Uh, what are your thoughts about the apology that Goodell made? Well, you know, oatmeal is better than no meal. And what I mean by that is um, I'm more concerned about uh, the policies that are being implemented. Um, I like what I'm seeing for the most part with the National Football League. It would have been very gracious to say, you know, I may not have agreed every, with everything Kaepernick said, but what he stood for and the reality of systemic racism and police brutality was something that he addressed and uh, he's been vindicated to a certain degree. So, um, you know, it cost him his career, but it brought awareness. It woke some people up. In hindsight, looking back, do you think that the NFL missed an opportunity, in your opinion, in leading in this conversation on race and sport? You know, this is what I'll say. One of the things that I'm learning about true leadership is true leadership always has the common good of people in mind. And it's one of these things where the people at the bottom are the ones who have said enough is enough. And I think the eight minutes and 46 seconds of George Floyd being tragically murdered was a microcosm of all these things that are happening. And so I'm not sure if the NFL and their leadership could have made that move without the pressure of the people saying, hey, something's wrong and we need to make it right. And so I see this as a movement of the people, by the people. And for me, as a as a Christian, Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. To love my neighbor as myself means I want my neighbor to experience liberty and justice like the American Constitution says, liberty and justice for all. And so I think the people, uh, not the people with power, but the people who said, you know, um, I'm tired of this. And I think the NFL has responded to that. So I think it's a good thing. Cam Newton, quarterback of the New England Patriots, recently said that there are different expectations for black quarterbacks than there are for white quarterbacks. What was your experience in the NFL as a black man? Well, uh, you know, let me say this as far as with Cam Newton. He's 100% right. I'm old enough to remember when uh, blacks were not allowed to be quarterbacks or told that they couldn't because, there's a, because they're not smart enough. And then there's a time where uh, black men couldn't play college football or black men couldn't play in the NFL. And in 1978, the great Warren Moon uh, had to go to Canada and play. And he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. After years of proving himself in Canada, he comes to the United States of America as one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League. And Cam Newton is right. Oftentimes, if you're a black quarterback, what's discussed is your athleticism and not your mind for the game. And so there's still some biases. And so for me, the position that I used to play, free safety, that position was typically for a white player because free safety was, was a position that you quarterback the defense, you got everybody lined up and such. And so that is no longer the case. And so there's still some blinders that need to be removed that are being removed. And so I do see incredible progress, but at the end of the day, this is what it comes down to. 
is I want to love people and we want to create a country where we say, I want to love people to be the best that they can be. I don't want to suppress. I don't want to oppress. I want to lift up. You know, we all remember the shut up and dribble comment that Laura Ingram from Fox News had made a couple years ago about LeBron speaking out about politics. Of course, LeBron James, uh, star athlete, star NBA star. Why is it important, you think, that athletes are able to speak into these issues? Well, number one, let me just address the shut up and dri dribble comment. It's so demeaning, it's so dehumanizing, and it's actually quite ignorant. Um, you know, as a professional athlete who came from the background that I came from, I felt it was my obligation to speak up for the voiceless. That as a professional athlete, that allowed me to have a platform in people's ear. And I think to Jesus himself, when Jesus came, he was with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the marginalized, those who didn't have a voice. And love always speaks up for those who are not listened to. And I think that LeBron James, you know, like all people, he's imperfect, but at least he's trying. And so it's ironic. Ironic that the same people who will say shut up and dribble a basketball are the same people who will say, you know, to celebrities or actors or athletes who agree with them, speak your mind freely. And we need to have honest and humble dialogue. We need to get rid of us versus them and realize that we are the us. We're the United States of America. We're not the divided States of America, United States of America. We need to begin to do what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Can you imagine if every American woke up saying, I'm going to consider my neighbor better than me, and in humility, I'm going to see how I can make their life better. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. That'd be it's beautiful. If the whole world could wake up with that realization. Thank you again, Pastor Derwin Gray, former NFL player. Thanks for joining us with your insight today. Thank you. I went through a phase where I wished I was lighter. I wished that I fit whatever that look was just to be included. We put together Meet My Melanin really to create a space um, for people that look like us to feel comfortable increase their visibility. I don't believe that uh, for myself. My, my, my life has been supported um, through the gospel, uh, Jesus Christ, and, and that everyone is made in the image of God and that we all fall short of God's glory. On July 31st this year, Jonathan Isaac, number 11 on the Orlando Magic basketball team, made headlines when he decided not to take a knee, but instead to stand during the national anthem. He also decided not to wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, as the rest of his team did. Jonathan's faith is the reason why the reaction from some fans and players was swift and varied, but Isaac is standing on his ground. He joins us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So why did you decide not to kneel? Well, I, I decided not to kneel or, or wear the Black Lives Matter t-shirt, first and foremost, because I understood that everybody is about solutions. And we all see what's going on in our country. We all see what's going on in our nation today. 
not just racism, but everything that plagues our society with murder. Um, it just, just it can go down the list of everything that plagues our society. So I'm about solutions. And when I saw people taking the decision to kneel, I thought the best decision and the best solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's how my life has been supported. That's how I've seen countless lives be changed, supported, changed for the better um, when it comes to situations like racism, when it comes to anything realizing and understanding that we're all made in the image of God is the answer. And uh, that's the solution that I went with. Would you have criticized Christians that did kneel? Uh, no, I think I think it's up to everybody's opinion. Um, you know, it, it, it's up it's up to them what they want to do. You know, I, I felt like I was I respected everybody that, that made the decision to kneel and I um, expected that same respect. And so what was the response that you received after July 31st when you decided not to? You know, it, it was wild. You know, my, my DMs were absolutely flooded. Mentions absolutely flooded on every single <laughs> social media outlet. Um, and, and it was great. You know, there are people who you agree with me and obviously people who didn't. But, um, you know, much more that agreed with me than, 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 than it that I saw. So I was encouraged. Mm. Explain a little bit more, Jonathan, about why the, go the gospel for you has compelled you to say, I'm looking at actions. And what what can following Jesus look like for action-oriented measures when it comes to race relations for you? Oh, well, well, I think that the first, one of, one of the first things when it comes to um, following Jesus is looking at yourself in the mirror. And I feel like um, what happens a lot of times in situations like this is we are comparing each other's sins. We're saying your sins are worse than my sins. And uh, usually that only comes down to whose sin is most visible. And then that person has the uh, the moral high ground. But when you when it comes to Jesus, he's the moral high ground. And we all fall short of his glory. So everyone can look at themselves and say, man, I'm a part of the problem. You're not just evil. I have evil in me too. And we can work together as a solution with the gospel, with Jesus Christ being the thing that that pins us all together. I've had countless conversations with, with, with white Christians and the things that, that, the things that, pin us together is the gospel, not color, um, not anything like that. So we can get past skin color, we can get past all the things that that separate us and, and look to the one thing that um, that brings us together, which is Jesus who died for every single one of us. So I'm curious then, Jonathan, how do you enter into a conversation where somebody might, you know, uh, uh, express their biases against you are a black man, um, how do you how do you respond to the hatred that might be propelled towards you as a black individual? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think that it comes down to individuals. I'm not one to paint um, everybody a certain way and say, okay, white people are like this or black people are like this. Um, I've been I, I've I've been <laughs> helped and loved by by white people and, and and vice versa on both sides. So I'm not one to to stand in the middle or on one side saying that the other side is wrong. I think it comes down to individuals. And I think at the end of the day, the problem is sin. The problem has always been sin from the very beginning of time. And it, it comes down to an individual basis. Some people feel a certain way, some people don't, but you can't paint with such a broad brush. Um, so I would just go down to, 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 to it's, it's, it's personal. It's between every individual. And that's why the gospel is so important because the gospel impacts one individual at a time and changing their heart to see more clearly and to see things from a spiritual perspective and not a natural one. Right. So have you ever, I'm, I'm assuming as a, as a black man, you've experienced racism. Uh, how do you feel when you experience that, when you're seen not because of your faith, but because of your skin color? Uh, I mean, I, I think every, every uh, you know, black person has experienced it at, at some point in time in my life. It hasn't been 
um, you know, anything recently, um, more so when I was a kid, but, and, and with kids, uh, but you know, it, it, it happens. And, and that's, that's a part of, like I said, the sinful hearts of man. Um, I can't call somebody out, um, for what they do wrong without acknowledging my own wrong. Um, and that's again, where we all fall short of God's glory. We all say things we shouldn't say, do things we shouldn't do. Um, and a lot of times we're not so honest about that. And uh, I think that's the conversation that needs to be had, that we all fall short and that we all can continue to move forward like we have as a country and as a people um, as we look towards um, Jesus Christ who died for every single one of us. Yeah. Not everybody believes in the gospel and so, uh, and not everybody believes in Jesus. So how do you walk this conversation with people who might not necessarily agree with what you say? Um, as you're saying, we can fight this problem of racial injustice with Jesus. My, my, my appeal to them would be what is going to change everything? What is at the what is at the cause, the root of the problem? Um, it's not just white versus black. It's a problem of every single human being um, wanting what they what, what, what doesn't belong to them, wanting what they can't have, what, what they don't deserve um, and doing whatever they want to get it. And uh, that comes down to each each heart that comes down to the sin of men. And I would point them to um, the Bible and the cross in which Jesus can set us free from all the things that that, that plague our society. And, and I think in this time, we're looking for hope. We're looking for an answer to the problems. And I believe that God gave the answer 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on that cross. So that's that's what I would appeal to them, to just look around yep. and see the world that we're living in and, and, and see everything that plagues our society and that we need a different route. We need a different answer. All right. Thank you so much, Jonathan Isaac. Thank you for having me. It's time once again for The Q here on Context. Joining us today to talk about a different kind of racism in sport having to do with how we look is the fastest woman in Canada, Kamika Bingham, and Cassandra Pascal, a Canadian track field star and both co-founders of Meet My Melanin. Thanks so much for both of you joining us today. Now, Kamika, you're the fastest woman in Canada and you have many accolades and awards and so forth that you've achieved, but you still feel that you're not treated equally compared to your peers in the field. Tell us more about that. Yeah, um, you know, as an Olympic athlete, we understand that building a brand and forming networking opportunities is important to market yourself and allow others to know you, your story, and to create avenues for support and sponsorships. So five years ago in 2015, I had my breakout year as a senior athlete, I won the national championships in the 100. I ran it in a time that hasn't been seen since the 1980s. I was the fastest woman in Canada, anchored the women's four by one relay at Pan Am Games to a bronze medal on home soil. So this was an exciting year for me. And I was approached by this very common running magazine in the running community um, to do a blog interview. So, you know, I kindly accepted, of course. And um, the interviewer who was interviewing me said that they were going to try to speak to the organizers to get me on the cover because they were doing a feature for the fastest woman in Canada. And um, I was later told that the organizers said that they wanted to go in a different direction and that I didn't fit the look. Yeah. <laughs> 
How did that make you feel, Kamika, knowing that, again, you have achieved so much, but yet you don't fit the look? You know, the rejection obviously, like, really hurt, um, especially because I had this feeling that being a Black person, a Black athlete, you had to, like, rise above the rest by a significant margin just to be considered for business opportunities. But, you know, the, the issue for me was when you don't really feel included in the spectrum of beauty, you start to... Um, see yourself differently. So I kind of had moments, I went through a phase where I wished I was lighter. I wished that I fit whatever that look was just to be included. And, you know, it's a dehumanizing process and it, and it takes away the uniqueness that makes you, you. Cassandra, you have a similar story. After all of your success, your peers told you that your success is only because you were having a lucky year. Tell us about that quickly. Yeah, um, I would say in high school, I was one of the top track and field athletes um, in across Canada. And um, a lot of people doubted my success. I was somebody who came from a different sport. I played soccer um, and I came over to track and field and I won my first year. Um, the 100 actually broke the record that year um, in my ninth grade year. And um, everyone attributed to a, a lucky shot. So um that wasn't that wasn't the best experience. I think you know you put forth your best effort, and um, it's an easy way for people to brush you off. Yeah. So you both decided that you were going to shake it up a little, and that you're going to encourage conversation with Meet My Melanin. Tell us about this movement. So we put together Meet My Melanin really to create a space um, for people that look like us to feel comfortable increase their visibility, see their beauty, share their experiences, and have people learn and understand their culture. And what do you hope this will help change? When we talk about the sports world, this whole show has been about athletes actually speaking into the social conversation on race. Kamika, what do you hope happens and, and changes out of these conversations? Um, I definitely feel like when we have these conversations more, um, we create more opportunity for conversations, learning and understanding. And that is exactly the messages that we want. So, you know, our message that we want to share with people is see me, hear me, know me. And it's just all themes about inclusivity, acceptance and understanding. We want, um, you know, those who may have an unconscious bias or stereotypical assumptions about someone before even giving them like the opportunity to know that person first. So we wanted people to see me, like see black people and embrace black beauty and hear black voices. Like, you know, that's the amplification of um, black experiences, their voices accepted and know me, which is no black culture, just learning and understanding black culture, building that community to celebrate our differences, but also bond over our similarities and just honor ourselves as individuals and equals. Excellent. Thank you both ladies for joining us again, Kamika Bingham and Cassandra Pascal for joining us today. Thank you. That wraps up another Context Beyond the Headlines. Check us out online at context.show. For all of us here, thanks for watching. Bye.